Welcome to episode 148 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Stephen Abbey. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Stephen Abbey. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for being here today, my man. Daniel, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We were just having a little chat, and I feel like I say this almost every episode where it's like, if we didn't stop that and cut that off, we could have gone for like two hours <laughs> before before we before we hit record. So I'm, I'm glad that we you know kind of cut ourselves off, reined it in, and uh, and get this message out to the people. Stephen, do you want to give a give a quick introduction of yourself, of who you are, and, and what it is that you do? I know that you've done a lot of things, but uh, what you know the the basis of it. Uh, well, and just a quick is. Uh I, well, I live in Santa Barbara, California, born and raised here, uh, went to school in University of Colorado and um, studied economics and psychology and actually anthropology as well. Um, and uh, just done a whole bunch of different businesses in my life, um, exported aircraft components and went off and uh, did some real estate, uh, had a solar development company. But my true passion through the whole time period has been health and healing um, because I had some issues. And um, so I did a deep dive uh, trying to figure them out, psoriasis and fibromyalgia, um, reactive hypoglycemia, and because basically Western medicine was not able to really help in any meaningful way. And so I did this deep dive and then um, went off and uh, started learning, became fascinated, uh, and it just became a passion. I've just been helping people, friends and family and working with naturopaths for years. And so I, when I basically didn't see any really good comprehensive products on the market that were all whole foods. So I decided to create my own and I started SOS nutrients uh, a little over three years ago and launched it in, um, last year in October and super happy to finally have it out and about. Exactly. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I mean, it, it's it's an unfortunate common story, I believe, where there's so many people and so many companies that have come up and, and more and more over the last maybe 10 or 15 years where it's like, hey, I had this you know health issue where I had this thing and like conventional medicine just wasn't doing it. So I had to go about and find my own way to do it. And by finding your own way, it's actually almost like going back in time to like, okay, what would they have done, you know, 200 years ago to like deal with this thing? And why wasn't this a thing or, you know, 2000 years ago even, which is, which is very, it's just a hilarious, like thing to me. I'm not sure the, the word that I'm looking for there, but it's a hilarious thing that it's like to solve current issues. We actually sometimes have to go way back in time where like the modern stuff isn't working. And that's not to like knock all of modern medicine. Of course it does, you know, some wonderful things, but it has a lot of, uh, a lot of shortcomings as well. I think that's a, I think that's a fair statement to, to say that won't anger too many people there. No, unfortunately, you know, Western medicine has some amazing things like, uh, you know, I, I ride a mountain bike, uh, and we have great rides around here and I blew out my knee in September of last year. And, you know, if it wasn't for modern medicine, I mean, my knee would still be super jacked up. And yet, um, I have uh orthoscopic surgery and here I am, you know, seven, eight months later and I, I'm out riding again. I, I don't even notice it. So Western medicine has its place, but for chronic de- conditions like diabetes, like we were talking about, or cancer or heart disease, it, it really lifestyle needs to take really center stage for those things. So yeah. What was your lifestyle like before you really got into these things? It sounds like you're always interested in health and fitness and, and whatnot. Um, were you, but not maybe 
super in the weeds on it? Were you always involved in sports and were you always kind of like dabbling in, you know, trying to eat different diets and eat healthy and stuff? Or what was your kind of like early experience with, with health in general? I had no clue when I'm talking about, I'm talking about 30 some odd years ago. And I just, I was eating a standard American diet and, um, but I wanted to be healthy, but I didn't really know how to do it. And then I went traveling through Asia. I took a semester off college and went traveling through Asia. I think it was like 1989. Um, and, um, just, I saw all these diverse foods and they're really a lot of them in their, their traditional ways are extremely healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then I came back and, uh, I broke out in psoriasis everywhere. And if I showed you pictures, you'd see, it looked like a burn victim. I was all over. And that was what initially started me on it. But, um, I did not connect diet with that at that time. And then, so I was going and having things like methotrexate, which is an anti-cancer drug. It's a chemotherapy drug, right? And then, um, but it works. It actually lowers your psoriasis drastically, but you have to get a liver biopsy, which is like getting stabbed while wide awake with a giant needle. Just coming, I mean, it was horrible. So that was my initial thing. And then, so I started, I started looking at diet really seriously and started changing over, but it took me years to really, cause you know how many different thousands of diets are being thrown at us all the time. And with coming with such strong opinions and, you know, and with people that look great and all this, it gets really confusing. So everything that I do, I, I look at my blood and blood work and measure it. And then I also do it with, um, with other people. So I'm, constantly following because if you're looking at say diabetes or something you look at an a1c you can see if what you're doing is working or not right so that's what i've been uh doing and now i i pay a lot uh, close attention to my diet of course uh, but i still live life right i'm i'm wanting i my whole thing is cover your bases and really eat the basics really strongly but if I, I still go out and I'll have drinks on Saturday, Friday and Saturday night and I, I want to live life, but, um, but yeah. Um, I think some of the part, some, a, a big part of that is like, we can try and optimize our diet and, and lifestyle and our, you know, our home environment and whatnot as much as possible, but we can't change everything in the world unless you're willing to like go live in the middle of the rainforest or something like that. And so there's got to be some, some caveats. You're going to, yeah, you're going to inhale some pollution. You're going to, there's going to be, you know, EMFs all, all around you. And like, there's going to be all this stuff that's happening. And so to totally give up everything that modern life has, like, you know, drinks and, and chocolate cake and pizza, whatever, like it's a little bit ridiculous, I think, to totally give that up. But at the same time, it's really hard to find the diet that's going to work for you because I think the way that most diets are marketed is purely on weight loss. And if we're talking just about weight loss, like basically any diet works because the the standard diet is so bad that like anything is better than that. Any named diet is almost better than that. And so it will produce weight loss, but it's not going to solve all of one's issues because everyone's got, you know, different things going on. It's the, I think the easiest example is, you know, the carnivore diet is probably not the best diet for everybody, but for a certain 
percentage of the population, and remember, everyone, there's 8 billion plus people in the world. For some small percentage of those people, that's the best option for them. But then there's, you know, another whole group of people where a totally vegetarian raw diet is like the actual optimal thing for them because there's so much variance across humans. So a lot of different things can work, but within those, there are a lot of fundamentals. And I think that's the most difficult thing to to, to come to understand, which probably took took you you know, years of, of just self-learning how to, how to figure that out well, what those things are and then how do I, you know, implement this in my actual life? Well, the carnivore diet is an interesting one when you go there because there's very little long-term data on that, right? You mean you might go to the Maasai tribesmen or the, or the Eskimos, but both of those people have talked about how healthy they are and they, they actually, if you look at them, they have cardiovascular disease, even uh, 10,000 year old skeletons and that's not normal. Mm. So I don't think, I think maybe a small group of people can really live and thrive on that. But for, yeah, I agree with you for the masses. Um, but it's a great elimination diet for the right people, right? Yeah. Cause you're cutting out all the processed stuff, all, I mean, but when people are, say, eating carnivore and you're looking at that, you have to keep in mind one thing is uh, that modern day foods are not what they were 100 years ago. Chickens of today with the fat content are not what they were 100 years ago, drastically. I looked at a report and I know that I've seen it on the, the FDA website and it says different numbers, but the chicken of 1896 had 1 1.8 grams of fat and then a modern day chicken had 23 point, what is it? 22.8 grams, like drastic difference, right? These are, cause one is like a wild animal cause they were just, essentially they were cultivated wild animals and now they're being bred to have a huge amount of fat comparatively. But when I looked at it, if you go on the USDA website, it, it doesn't show as high as that. But this report came out and said that it was that high. I was like, if these numbers are right, that's just a ginormous difference. But also there's all these toxins that are added. Also, chicken has now become the biggest, uh, one of the biggest contributors to sodium in the diet. So it starts going down this path. If we're, you know, going carnivore and trying to be like our ancestors um, or something like that, it's just it's a very different thing. You're not eating wild meat. And that's, uh, so it goes down with how somebody is what they're wanting to do. But the good thing about it is you're cutting out all the, the processed foods, the Cokes and everything like that, hopefully. And so as an elimination diet, it's actually not bad for a very short period of time. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think there's various ways to go about the elimination. You can you can cut out carbs, you can cut out meat, you can cut out vegetables, you can, you know, you can cut out a bunch of things. And like with that always comes the cutting out the candy, the pop, the, you know, all, all of the, the standard junk food that we would all agree is junk food, right? You can have arguments about like, you know, broccoli is bad for you. And I don't think that that's <laughs> really a, a good way to go about it. Maybe for some people, if they're allergic, you know, by some way, but like, that's not like broccoli is not the reason why America is obese. Like that is not, that's just anyone who believes that is, I think, a little bit ridiculous. Um, so what, you know, it, it's an, it's an interesting thing to talk about how the food has changed. And this is a, something that I think a, not a lot of people have realized that, you know, you can have vegetables, you can have quote unquote healthy foods and it still might not be perfect. So do you know some of the history of like, like why has the, ch the fat content in chickens changed so drastically and why does that matter? Well, so that goes down a, a, 
a big route. So one, the way chickens are raised today compared to where they were raised a uh, hundred years ago is drastically different. You know, in factory farm, it's kind of like an Auschwitz. I mean, just mm-hmm. call it like what it is. Right. And the way, the way those animals are raised, they're being constantly given antibiotics because they're, they're at risk of getting infections because they're so crowded together. Right. So with that, you have potential risk of specific strains of, of bacteria that can be really hazardous. That's why they're constantly doing that. But they also, as I said, they inject them with sodium. They also, um, there has now been an obesogenic virus that was found in chickens. Have you heard about this? No. And chickens that have this virus in it grow much bigger and much fatter, right? That's jump species. It's now in humans. Um, and when there was a study done on humans and, uh, on obese individuals, and if they were, had this virus in it compared to the ones that didn't, they were on average 24 pounds heavier. Um, doesn't mean it's not cause and effect. Uh, it hasn't been proven, but that's compelling and it should at least be looked at. And the food most associated with, um, obesity was chicken. Uh, I don't know if you saw that report that came out a few years ago where they looked at all the different foods and, and I wouldn't have ever guessed chicken would be that way. And they were saying, well, maybe fat is causing fat. Maybe, I don't know if that's my mine or whatever, but maybe fat is causing obesity, like eating of fat. So I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. the food supply has changed so much and how it impacts us is um, very different than what we were eating, you know, a hundred years ago or 120 years ago. So with that report, did they look at like what, how they were eating the chicken? Cause I could understand if, you know, if people are eating tons of fried chicken and fast food chicken and chicken fingers from a frozen box and like, you know, all of the other ways that chicken could be prepared. But if people were just eating like, you know, a grilled chicken breast on the barbecue, I don't, I'll be I'll be very shocked to to believe that that is like one of the major causes. But if the food supply is that is that damaged, then I guess I guess it's possible. Well, I'll see if I can't find that report because I've seen it multiple times. So and I believe I saved it. So I'll forward it on to you and you can put a link to the bottom. And uh, yeah. I do not remember. But my guess is they were just looking at chicken, period, just right. as a in any way that it's being eaten. And uh, how much, you know, how much somebody, but of course it makes a huge difference. If you're having fried chicken, then if you're having barbecue chicken, it's very different. That being said, you're going to have heterocyclic amines if you're having barbecue chicken. So that has its own problem. All of them have, you know, we're we're navigating through, uh, you know, what is the best way to do things, right? Um, But, and that fits in with somebody's lifestyle. We're almost trying to pick the the lesser of of several evils when we when we eat something like nothing is perfectly natural in the way that it was and all this stuff from years ago. So it's like we've got to pick and choose our our battles and do the best with the things that we that we do have now, which is a very complicated exercise to to undergo. And that thing that is the best might be different for for each person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you you did say something. We're all we all have a different genetics, right? And we some some of us thrive with one diet, and others thrive with another. And the, it's I think uh, there was a time in history when we were much closer together. But as time has gone by, with all these crazy varied diets, we've kind of pushed that envelope a little bit. Um, 
But yeah, um, it is amazing that we're able, you know, we're not like uh, a tiger that you're really limited to what you're eating. And if you don't eat that, you're kind of in trouble. Like if they went on a vegan diet, they wouldn't do so well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the things that's very interesting about today's day and age where it's like up until, you know, relatively recently, I believe in, in human history, like starvation was a real issue. And there's certainly people in the world who are, who still die from starvation and, you know, whatever. But I don't think anyone who's that in that part of the world is like listening to this. So for the, for the most part, if you're listening to this, you're probably not starving uh, to, to death. Um, but so, but now we have this problem of too much abundance, right? I don't know if too much abundance actually is a correct term, but we have this problem of, of abundance. And so now we've got to pick and choose like the right options versus, you know, years ago it was just, well, you eat what you get because it's either that or go hungry. And, whether that worked or not, I mean, people got through and they had children and, and propagated the, the species. And so you can call that success. Um, but they didn't have some of the issues that we had. Like, you know, my grandparents never had to work out because why would you go and spend extra energy in the gym? Like they were doing physical labor stuff all day long. It didn't make sense. And so our lifestyles are so different. But yet, like we haven't really, our behavior, I don't think, has really has really caught up to it. Yeah, um, very drastically different in terms of the energy expenditure. There was, there was a time when they were talking about, you know, looking at the cost per calorie, uh, just to get as many calories in somebody as possible. So they were recommending eating white sugar. because <laughs> it was just so, it was like in, uh, it was like 1910 and people were expending thousands of calories of energy because they were working on things all day long. Right. And so they were, they needed fast energy and they didn't really know any other way. So they were, uh, they, you know, for, I, I forgive them because they had no idea, but, um, we know better now, right? That, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And, uh, but if you go back in history, like the middle ages, yeah, it was a real possibility for people to starve and nobody was overweight. Even the Kings and Queens and the royalty, very few of them were overweight, even though they were eating, you know, seven course meals at every meal because they didn't have all of these endocrine disruptors to throw them off. So their body went back to homeostasis every day. Right. And um, so it's uh, it's a very different time in history. For someone who might not be familiar with that term, can you describe what an endocrine disruptor is and uh, talk about you know what some of them m might be and kind of what they do to us? Uh, an endocrine disruptor means that it's throwing uh, a substance. Uh, I'll give you an example. BPA throws off uh, a specific hormone. It's called the diabetes and obesity hormone. And um, so that would be considered an endocrine disruptor, but there are literally thousands of them uh, going on and constantly uh, doing it. I mean, a goitrogen, which would be something that blocks iodine from going into the thyroid, could theoretically be considered an endocrine disruptor. And those are everywhere. Fluoride is uh, put in our water supply and blocks iodine from being absorbed so that it can create, you know, T3 and T4. T3 are your, uh, is your thyroid hormone, uh, one of your thyroid hormones. And then there's T4. Those are the two main ones. Um, and all they are is three molecules of iodine and four molecules of iodine. But fluoride blocks it, chlorine blocks it, and bromide uh, blocks it. So we have those would be considered goitrogens, but those in, in a way are kind of an indirect endocrine disruptor. So right. there, but there are really many of them. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere and almost impossible to avoid entirely. 
I believe. I mean, we think we can do the best we can. We can, you know, filter water and filter air and uh, try and, you know, get locally grown foods and, and all that stuff. And, you know, but it's the clothes you wear, it's the soap that you use, it's all of the things, right? And it's and it's everywhere. It's all of our, all around us. And so it's like there's only so much of that you can you can control. You do what you can, but then the rest of it is like you're just gonna. Have, we just have to kind of deal with it and just accept some level of of imperfection. I think because I don't think we can really get rid of all of it. No, uh, no way to get rid of all of it if you're living in the the modern society. <laughs> because unfortunately, and this might be a little bit of a bold statement, but we're not being well protected by the EPA and the FDA. They are not doing a good job of protecting it. There's too much industry going in and it's a revolving door. And it's super unfortunate because there are really key things that should be blocked. I mean, and this has been going on for many years. I mean, how many, do you know how many studies it took before the um, Surgeon General came out and said that smoking is bad? I don't. 7,000, you know, in, in, and that came out and I think it was 1969, I believe. Right. So, but in the thirties, there was a, a, um, a, a researcher who did this massive study and basically in his mind just proved that smoking caused lung cancer as well as other things, but he proved it. And so he thought, Oh, this is going to make national headlines and it's all going to come out and everybody's going to know about it. And then we'll, people get to make their own decision. Right. He was like, I was so naive. I mean, you know, 20 years later in the 1950s, it was like, nothing's changed. Like, um, and you know, the, the, um, the, the cigarette manufacturers, they donated $10 million to the, the journal of the American medical association, just as a, you know, cause we want you to do research. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not 7,000 is a huge number, but it kind of it makes a lot of sense to hear that. And even going back to the example of, uh, you know, the, the antibiotics and stuff that they inject in the chickens and the way that they grow them now. And it's they do that because they need to turn a profit and they need to turn bigger and bigger profits every every year, every every quarter. Right? I don't I don't think that the the chicken farmers are out there like oh we're trying to you know poison America like I don't think that that's the case they're just like well we need to produce as many chickens and make them as big as we can so we can make as much money to to support the farm and to you know appease investors and shareholders and whatever all the stuff and so to do that that's you know we need to do this we need to put this in the chickens and I'm like well it doesn't kill people right now and like maybe it has some effects and you know to their credit maybe they don't even understand the science and they don't even understand that because they're not scientists um, understand the the all of the downs stream implications and we can you know continue to point the finger at like no it's the chicken no it's the broccoli no it's the water no it's the plastic in the water bottle no it's this that's that and the other thing and then we just never come to a conclusion and you know it's all just driven by by profit and i think that you know that may be one of the one of the few flaws of of capitalism which you know that's a whole other different <laughs> rabbit hole that we, we probably don't need to to go down too far but um I think it's certainly something that needs to be considered is like when you think about why does a company do something, chances are it's because they're trying to make money. They're not out there trying to harm people. No, absolutely not. And I fully agree with you. The, the one caveat that I would say is that you can't rely on uh, industry to have morals. The government needs to have very straight. And I'm not saying they don't. I'm saying 
you can't rely on that because if you're looking at the oil companies to to protect the environment, you're really making a bad choice. <laughs> um, you need to have those laws in place that they can follow and that are clearly in in the space because otherwise it spins out and that's in every because business is uh, not easy. It's very competitive. Especially if somebody's raising chickens for their business. There are a thousand other chicken raisers right. and everybody is trying to get it to the lowest possible price. And they're all just pushing that envelope down and it, there's no room. So if there's a way to save, you know, four cents on a chicken, they're probably going to do it. Even though it's not healthy downstream, they're not thinking along that line. And I don't, I'm not saying they're bad people for it. I'm just saying there are consequences and the government could easily step in and with very little difference could change that but yeah it's not being done yeah it's just it's just the reality of, of the situation and just like we can't change our environment to get rid of all the endocrine disruptors and, and all the toxins and stuff that's around us you know we, we can go and vote and people should do that and all that stuff but like we can't like us sitting here and complaining about uh, the government and regulations and all these things doesn't actually change anything right it's 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 you know maybe one piece of the conversation that may help on, on the grander big bigger scheme of things or bigger scale but, you know, it really comes down to the individual. Like, how do you, you got to make decisions for yourself that are in your best interest, the same way that everyone, like companies and whatever, are making decisions in their best interest. And I think that if everyone does what's in their best interest, it'll, it'll, will actually come to a place where our best interest is actually to help each other. And, and so those things will, will meet and, and we'll get to a, to a better place. But it really just comes down to, as far as the health stuff, make the decisions that are the best for you. And you've got to take your health into your own control because no one else is going to do it for you. Obviously, if you haven't realized that uh, by now, like this is this is the wake up call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Taking your own health, because uh, I, you know, if you look at where we are, it's it's not being it's not easy to navigate um, how to be healthy. At least for me, it took me a long time and a lot of study to get to a place of what is healthy for me and how do I determine what that is? You know, what, what makes somebody feel healthy? And so, yeah, it's, um, it takes a lot of education because if otherwise, if you just go out and you go, Oh, I'm just going to go to Denny's and I don't know if it's healthy or not. I'm going to get their healthy option and I'm going to get their healthy buttermilk biscuit and, um, you know, and you know, this kind of, uh, bacon or whatever they're doing. It's like, you know, if you had that at one time, every once in a while, it's no big deal. But if you're doing that on a regular basis, you're probably not going to be healthy. Yeah. And there's nobody sitting there saying this is unhealthy. Yeah, because the default state, you know, once upon a time was that these unhealthy options didn't exist. So your only option was like eat food that was like a little bit healthier or eat the food that is available to you or that's it. Now we have too many options and, you know, we've kind of, kind of gone uh, gone full circle at this now, right? But now you have so many options that you have to actually make healthy choices, whereas before the only choice w was conceivably like a, a healthy choice because it was your only option. Speaking about just navigating this whole this whole thing for, for people, one thing that I've probably been more critical than most about is the... I would even go as far as saying the abuse of supplements. And I'm sure you would agree with this. I think that there's tons of like, if the food market is unregulated, like the supplement market is even less regulated than that. It's like, you know, you can just basically put whatever you want in a bottle, crush it up, market it, say it does whatever it does. And like, no one's really paying attention to that. And so there's a ton of like synthetic 
complete garbage that's in these supplements. Now, people run to these supplements to solve the problems of their lifestyle, which again, I think you'd agree, Stephen, that like it doesn't solve it. You're taking a supplement to sleep, but like you're, you know, you're scrolling on your phone and drinking coffee at 10 p.m. and, you know, doing whatever, like that's, that ain't, that ain't it. Like you've got to change your lifestyle, but supplements certainly play a role and they certainly do help and they, and they have a place in society and, and in our health, but they are a supplement. They don't, you know, they don't, they're not the entire thing that you're doing. So all that being said, how did SOS Nutrients, how was it born and where did it, where did it come from? Where was the idea of it? And I'm sure there were many iterations of it, but what's the, what's the origin story of SOS Nutrients? Well, the, how it came about is I, I was just looking at and doing it for myself. So I was buying all of these different components and mixing them into a smoothie and the reason why I was doing a smoothie is because I don't love to cook, but I wanted to be really healthy. And I also saw that whole foods were absolutely the way. And I, but there are specific things that are really healthy to add in there, like turmeric would be one, amla powder, another, um, and having a balanced amount. But the, the thing that kickstarted me is I ended up being on the team, uh, helping three people go through the last months of their life uh, and I was on their support team dying of preventable diseases and I was the last person that I, I helped with that I, I just it devastated me and I, I could not get her easy nutrition on the market and I'll give you an example of something so at the end of that when she died I was just like you know I'm going to do this I'm going to make a product because I don't see one on the market. And, um, but if you go in and just go into Amazon and you type vitamin C, right. And you see everything that comes up. The, I just looked at the first 50. They were a hundred percent synthetic in terms of a hundred percent of them had synthetics in there. And some of them said ascorbic acid and, um, acerola cherry or amla powder or camu camu or, um, or rose hips. All of those have vitamin C in it. But every one of them had ascorbic acid and they kept toting the, the amla or the uh, acerola cherry. But the truth is, is it cost, because I know I'm looking, I'm putting in my product. It's cost 20 times more to do it in whole food form than from ascorbic acid. Do you know how ascorbic acid is manufactured? Have you I ever have no seen idea. It? So I'll give it to you because it used to all be manufactured in New Jersey, right? There was a, um, a manufacturing facility in New Jersey. 90% of the world's supply was made out there. It's all moved over to China. Now 95% of the world's supply is made in China. And the way they do it, the, there are a couple of different ways, but the main way, it, and this is a patented process, they take high fructose corn syrup, they put it under incredible pressure, incredible heat, they do an acetone wash, and then they neutralize it with hydrochloric acid. And in the end, you have a molecule that's chemically identical to what you find in nature, but it has no vitamin activity on its own, it has none, zero. It has to have the cofactors and bioflavonoids and all this other stuff to work. It's just like trying to drive a car and you just have an engine. Unless you have the wheels, unless you have a steering wheel, unless you have the frame, it's not going anywhere. Right. And it's the same type of thing. And you never would see that sort of molecule in nature. And I won't say that it doesn't have 
a benefit under the right circumstance. It's used in cancer treatment where they inject people with giant amounts of this and they also oftentimes add a plasma of high oxygen and it creates hydrogen peroxide on the site of the cancer. But now you're talking about using it as a drug as opposed to nutrition. If you want daily nutrition, you want a whole food form that is that's gentle and is in a natural way that your body recognizes with all the cofactors and bioflavonoids. And that's just the market we live in. And you bring up the adulteration. Um, so I was supposed to launch a year earlier. I had a base of, I built out my product, but somebody, a competitor of the, one of the main companies I was using said, you know, they're adulterating the products. And I'm like, what? No way. I mean, these, these are, if you go to Supply Side West or all these expos where all the manufacturers get together, they are the ones on the big headline, right? Hmm. And he, and I'm like, no, I don't think they would do that. But I was like, you know, I'm going to check it out. So I took samples and I sent it to my lab and they got back to me and they said, Steve, I can't, I can't tell you if they are or not. I don't have that sophisticated equipment. So I sent it to another one. They said the same thing. So I found the University of Georgia isotope studies, uh, forensic anthropology department, and they can tell you. And they came back and said, yes, this has been adulterated. And then I was like, I still didn't totally believe it. I, I put in a $10,000 purchase order. So I thought, I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk to, uh, Dr. Jeet, which is their main guy of quality. They wouldn't let me talk to him. Wow. They're just like, why do you want to talk to him? And then I found it in their patent. It says in their patent, you know, that, um, if they don't meet the RDA, they can add exogenous material outside of the air extracts to, to meet that, which is meaning they're adulterating their product. So in any event, it's been a long, arduous journey to get to the place I am because I'm taking this product myself. My family's taking this. My friends are taking it. And I want people to be healthy. I'm doing this as a passion project. This isn't my, you know, I've done a bunch of different businesses, but this is a passion project for me. So, right. It's it's certainly a, a difficult road and a really difficult one for people to understand why it matters right you see a, a vitamin or a supplement that's a mixture of some sort in a you know in a popular a supplement shop under a popular brand name you're like yeah this this should work why would they why would they lie to me right but i think what one thing that people don't know and again you can you know elaborate on this is like you can put you know one percent of the ingredient that you're talking about and then you know just fill in the rest of it with synthetic stuff or just basically nothing and still be able to say that it has that thing in it and and it's not a lie it's just like it doesn't really have as much of it as as it should or or as it claims to be that's called fairy dusting hmm. <laughs> that's I didn't a term even know that there was a term for it but that, there's a term that's a, it's a pretty sad state that there's an actual that there's an actual term for it it's you it's done all the time so yeah i mean they put oh uh it's got coq10 in it or it's got this but it's tiny amounts like i saw one it was just like ridiculous it had uh chia seeds and it had it as the last ingredient and it was less than 30 milligrams and i'm like why is that on there? <laughs> 30 milligrams of chia seeds. You've got to be kidding me. Like yeah, that's just such, what's the point? Like I have, uh, what, um, 30 milligrams. So I have 400 times that yeah. <laughs> something like that. Like it's something crazy like that. Yeah. Like, okay, we're, we're, we're being funny now. Yeah. So why, why should people really care about naturally sourced ingredients for supplements versus the synthetic version of supplements because is it simply just because of the delivery and the efficacy of them or is there more more to this well 
so that's a, a, a big answer, but I'll give you an example of something. So on my website, I have a couple of, of uh, I have a research section and I just have a few um, different studies. But one of the studies is a meta-analysis. Meta-analysis just means they're looking at many studies. And so they were looking at um, multivitamins. And I'm sure it, like some of your um, listeners have heard this before, but this is a ginormous study, right? Hundreds of thousands of people years uh, taking supplements. And there was zero uh, difference between the mortality, uh, cancer, heart disease, zero. Now, we're talking about billions of dollars in supplements that were spent on those people during those studies, right? Um, but when I look, that was what the author said. There was no difference. I'll say that was no statistical difference. When I actually read through the thing and really pieced it out, I would say there was a slight benefit, right? But, you know, probably some of them had really high quality supplements that were, that were doing things for them, but people are nutritionally depleted in many ways, right? So if they're taking a synthetic, in some cases, they're going to have benefit. The problem with synthetics is they're isolated and they can throw off other things. So you might be solving one thing, but you're talking about so little. Like I bet if those people just took an apple a day, you would have had way more statistical benefit. So what's better to take whole foods? Um, to me, the reason why I designed to be mixed into a smoothie is because there's something called the phytochemical index. And what that means is what percentage of the diet are whole plant foods, right? And currently, according to a recent study, it's 12% for Americans. What does that mean? 12% of the diet are whole plant foods. 42% were fat, refined fats and refined sugars. 26% were meat and dairy and 20% were processed grains. So if you understand what that means, that's 20% processed grains, 42% uh, uh, refined fats and sugars. That's 62% of the American diet has zero caloric, I mean, uh, zero nutrition, a lot of caloric value, but very little nutrition, right? But that 12%, does that really make a difference? And by the way, what that 12% means is, you know, beans and uh, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, of course, nuts and seeds. Those are what they mean by whole. So does that really make a difference? Now, there have been all these studies out of the University of Tehran Medical Sciences University, um, which is a very prestigious university. It's the most prestigious in that part of the world. And they started doing these uh, studies on the phytochemical index, looking at the top quartile and then the second, third, and fourth, which that means they break people up into the highest amounts compared to the lowest amounts. And the amount of breast cancer from the highest compared to the lowest was a reduction of 92%. The reduction in prediabetes was 91%. The reduction in obesity was 66%. The reduction in uh, depression was 62%. These are massive numbers. And when you're looking at them, their levels were the highest quartile was at 42% compared to the lowest, which was 14%. So their lowest quartile was higher than our average and their, their upper end was very high. So what I try and do is I'm trying to get over 50% of my calories. So when I start with a big smoothie and I have one pretty much every day, um, I uh, have about 25% of my calories and these are not just any sort of, uh, you know, whole plant food calories, 
but I mean rock star calories. So um, like I'm, I'm putting in purple cabbage, I'm putting in greens like power greens and things like that. And then I put in my product, which covers all the nutrition that's not there. Like it covers mushroom. It's a blend of mushrooms and you don't even taste it, right? Uh, I have the iodine from a blend of three organic kelps from Iceland, far away from any industry. I have uh, vitamin K2 from a fermented chickpea extract, I have, et cetera, et cetera. It's just really high end, but I'm trying to cover the things that are not necessarily in that. I think a smoothie is is probably the way to go for like method of delivery for something like this because the alternative would be like a, a pill, but the amount of nutrition that you're including in this would require like so many pills, like just actual like <laughs> so many number of individual pills that it's like, well, you're, now you're asking someone to take, I don't know how many it would take, but maybe like 10, 15 pills 50. a day. 50. There you go. Like it would, it would be an, I couldn't no do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't do it either. And neither would anyone else. So you got to make it, you know, simple for people to do, uh, for people to take and actually use, right? Because otherwise, if you don't use it, it obviously doesn't, uh, doesn't help you. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, it's something to be said about just the, the quality of these, of your product versus like, what we think when we've been told is being healthy, you know, um, many of us actually, maybe it's only a Canadian thing, but did you guys have like Flintstones vitamins? When, oh when yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I had those when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so did I. Um, and so, so did everyone else. And like, you know, it's not our parents' fault. They didn't, they didn't know any better, but we thought that that was like keeping us healthy and like, it probably wasn't really doing a whole lot, but like made you feel better about what you were doing. And we gave parents peace of mind and whatnot. But now we think about actual nutrients. It's like, okay, this is the stuff that we need some actual high quality stuff. And like, sure, it's going to be more expensive and all that, but it's actually doing what it's supposed to do versus basically doing nothing and just, you know, creating expensive pee. Yeah, no, it, it can have a drastic difference because most people are not getting comprehensive nutrition. They might be getting plenty of one thing, but they're not getting it from another. But the average American, according to a, a report, I do this in a presentation uh, from a study, and uh, there are recommended amounts of greens and and beans and fruits, et cetera, et cetera. And only 3% of Americans got their green leafy vegetables. Only 2% got uh, their orange vegetables. Only 4% got their beans. Only 1% got their whole grain, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, people aren't eating the recommended amounts. And a lot of times, like, so the recommended amount of fiber, just to give you an example, uh, in men is 38 and I think in women is 25. So um, only 3% of Americans get that level of fiber, 3%. But if you look at those numbers, that's half of what an indigenous, if you look at the Yamamamo tribe down in uh, the Amazon, if you look at the Kung Bushmen in the Kalahari, they're getting twice that number. So is that even a, a real number? That's just maybe an achievable by 3%. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. come on, guys. Let's, but we can do better than that. So when I have, uh, when I make a smoothie, which I do again, um, I oftentimes make mine huge and then I, I break it up into three days. So I don't have to make it every day. But, um, but when I have a smoothie, I'm having, um, pretty much three quarters of the recommended amount of fiber in a day. And then I'm eating a healthy diet outside of that. So I'm really trying to cover those things because I want to stay active into my eighties. Like I want to, I, I don't want to get into that thing where we're having all these chronic conditions and dealing with diabetes and I'm dealing with obesity and everything like that. It's so interesting that the, 
the recommended daily values of things are are actually kind of low. And it's like, that's, it's so interesting to say the way that you put it, that it's like an achievable number for people based on what they're currently at. But like, if you just look at like the amount of fiber that's in food in a regular diet, like it's really not that hard to hit 25 or 38 or 40 or 50 grams of, uh, of fiber. You maybe have to, you know, make a couple small decisions here and there, but like, it's really not that hard. And even still the vast majority of people are not even, are not even close to that. And that goes for basically all vitamins and, 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 uh, even protein. I was going to say the macronutrients, but I think people are getting plenty, <laughs> plenty of calories. Uh, but, but protein is, is, is severely under eaten, I think. And I think every trainer would, would agree with that uh, for their clients, but like these recommended daily values and even of exercise, you know, we talk about like, Oh, get outside and exercise for 30 minutes a day. It's like, that's the recommended, like, how are you, how are you not getting 30 minutes of movement every day? It seems, it seems insane, but we've got to like work with <laughs> where we are and, and try and like give people a, an achievable goal to, to aim for. Well, you know, it's, it, you're nailing it right on the head because if you look at that uh, 30 minutes a day, when they did the, the studies that determined that, they were getting way more benefit from 60 minutes a day and they were actually getting way more benefit from an hour and a half, but they knew it wasn't achievable. Yeah. And so they're basically placating people. They're not saying, you know, do as much as you can because they were worried that, oh, they'll just give up and not do it. But really, they're, you know, they're, they're not telling us what is actually the science. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, this is just, this is just sales and this is coaching in, in a way, right? It's like, well, yeah, an hour and a half would be better. You know, three hours might even be, might even be better, but you know, you also, you have a job, you, you have kids, your, your job is sitting at a desk. Like there's, you know, real life happens. So you can't just be outside, you know, playing in the grass all day long as much as that would be, <laughs> that would yeah, be awesome. Exactly. But that's just, that's just not real life. So we got to actually meet people uh, w- w- where they are right now, building off of that a little bit, what are, of course, it's it's anecdote and stories and stuff like that. But what would what are some of the benefits and stuff that you've seen from people who have been taking your product? You know, your family and friends and whatnot. What are some of the the improvements or benefits that you've seen these people have in their life from from using your product? Well, I'll say I'll bring up one because I'm going to do a podcast with them. So I wanted to, everything SOS Nutrients, which is the name of my company, stands for Science of Supplements. So I wanted everything is based on science, but I actually wanted to test this product out. So I have been running a study and getting results, right? So um, I have 10 people and a lot of the data is going to be coming out over time. But one of the people I actually hand delivered a smoothie to, his name's Forrest Galante. He's the host of Animal Planet and Discovery. He's on Joe Rogan all the time. He's a young, dynamic guy. And he's constantly flying off looking for extinct species and things like that. And he's got a whole production company. He's a really cool guy, right? And I pitched him on the idea. I said, hey, let me bring you a smoothie every day. I'll take your blood beforehand and then we'll take it afterwards. I'm like, I don't know how much it's going to make a difference. You, you know, the guy looks like an Adonis, right? He's in fantastic shape. He works out six days a week. I mean, he's in great shape, right? So I was like, I don't expect that much because we're only going to do it for a few months. As it turns out, he had to go to, to, um, Africa and, um, Australia. So we only did it for five and a half weeks because we got a limited time. That being said, I didn't expect him to have bad numbers, 
But when his numbers came back, he was pre-diabetic. He had a 5.7 A1C, just inside of pre-diabetes. Um, he had a C-reactive protein, which is a marker for inflammation of 10.9. So uh, for your audience, like 10.9 is psychotically high. You should not be that way. You should be under one, right? That's where you want to be. Um, anything over three is crazy high. And he was 10.9. And uh, so, and then his oxidative stress was crazy high. I did this whole oxidative chart and his F2 isoprostane, which is a marker for lipid oxidation and his 8-OHDG, which is a DNA damage. These were crazy high. So fast forward five and a half weeks and I told him, well, like, this isn't enough time. We're gonna, let's do this again when we have more time to actually do it. And so we tested him, we got his results back. His C-reactive protein, again, marker for inflammation, went from 10.9 to 1.6 in wow. five and a half weeks. Wow. His A1C went from 5.7, which is just inside pre-diabetic, to 5.0. Um, his F2 isoprostein and his 8-OHDG, uh, the F2 isoprostein dropped 52%. The OH, uh, OH, 8-OHDG dropped 65 These are drastic results. So... I'm just curious to see, is this, is this going to continue? So we're going to do this again, uh, in August and we'll have the results by, you know, the middle of August. So, but he's, we're going to do interviews on there and talk about Amazing. it because it's really a good, um, result. So I have a bunch of people with, you know, clearing up things like one of them is with diabetes, but I, I can't say that this is because of this, but it's part of a whole program. So I put together programs for people that have diabetes to undo it because my product's not specifically made for that. But as part of that, she's now eating tons of fruits and vegetables. She's also, I had her do intermittent fasting. I had her take specific nutraceuticals. Some of them are already in the product, but they're not in efficacious doses for somebody that has disease. My my thing was meant to prevent things, not right. necessarily treat things. So I am going to make that. That's a future product. I am going to make a blood pressure support and a blood sugar support, but it's going to be a full program. It's not just going to be one little thing that you do or a few tablets that you take. It's not going to be that easy, but, um, but that's where I get excited. I want people to have something where they can avoid a lot of these things but you have to kind of participate in your own health, right? You got to make a smoothie, at least my current one. You can take it by itself, but it doesn't it doesn't taste that good. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's I don't put any flavorings or sweeteners. I am going to make one with flavorings or sweeteners for people that just want to put it in water and go. But I don't think those are innocuous. Sweeteners mm. can up your A1C and aren't great for you. And the flavorings, even though they're organic, I just don't, I don't to be quite honest, I just don't like them. But I'm going to do it. For those people that want to, that'll be uh, available. But the the other one, if you can get in the habit of, of making a smoothie, you'll see a drastic change. I mean, just look at your C-reactive protein. I can go over oxidative stress with anybody. I can, uh, And then if you have blood sugar issues, look at that. Because so far, everybody's blood sugar has come down. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I can't make that claim, but everybody's <laughs> so far has come down. No, I, I, I'm fully with you on that. I'm, I'm someone who's like, yeah, we need to look at the science and see what the science says and, and, and the, the studies and whatever. But we know that that can also be very flawed. And like what's actually happening to a real person matters a lot more than what happens in a research center because your life is not a, is not a research center. But I'm also super happy that you mentioned that, you know, this is going to be part of, a, of an entire program. 
like taking the they're taking the product is one thing, but you can't just take the product and then you know sit on the couch and smoke cigarettes all day. Like that's 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 not really. It might help, I guess, but like it's not. That's not the whole way to do it. I think another thing that that I'd like you just to to define for some people because this this may have gone over some people's heads is the difference between like maintenance dose of supplements or nutrients versus therapeutic dosing and what that means and why someone would would uh, would you know differently dose things. Well, um, so a maintenance dose, so say somebody, um, just wants to prevent, let's say cancer, uh, the, there's so many things that can help prevent cancer to not do them is, and to not know about them is really a shame. Uh, I'll give you an example of one selenium. There was a study done in selenium, university of Arizona, Dr. Larry Clark, published uh, Journal of American Medical Association, and uh, it was a double-blind, placebo-controlled study. They stopped the study earlier, early because they felt it was unethical not to give the, the treatment, which was a, a very specific type of um, selenium, to these people because it lowered the, the, um, the development of cancer by 37% across the board. And it lowered the death rate of cancer by just over 50%. Like wow. these are ginam- ginormous numbers, right? And and so what it took to prevent that and what somebody needs to do as treatment, actually you wouldn't want to take too much uh, selenium when you have cancer. What It was effective at lowering the risk drastically of cancer, right? But it's not going to solve your cancer. If somebody has, say, breast cancer, it's not going to solve it. But Fast forward to something else. I'll use something a little bit more applicable. So if you look at cruciferous vegetables and cruciferous vegetables for your listeners are like kale, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, things like that, right? Those all have a substance called sulforaphane. And there was a huge meta-analysis that came out and it uh, came out and said people that have three to five servings a week, so three to five servings a week, uh, across the board of all cancers had a 30 to 40% reduction in cancer, right? But if you take that as a treatment for cancer, and I am working with some cancer patients, I wouldn't just take three to five servings to prevent cancer. I would be taking broccoli sprouts and I would be taking one to two cups a day. Right. Um, and I would, because they have 10 to 100 times more sulforaphane, the active substance, then say broccoli, which is the highest form in the, in the vegetable, uh, I was going to say vegetable market. Um, but, (laughs) but in any event, so it's, if you're treating something, you need efficacious doses and you also want to be able to see how much is actually absorbed and you want to do things to make the absorption greater. But you, there, with even natural substances, there can be toxic side effects. So you want to do that with inside of those doses. You don't want to just take, you know, 30 uh, cups of broccoli sprouts all of a sudden, because you might have a toxic uh, event. But what I would do is hit things from many different angles. So uh, when I'm working with a cancer patient, I'm using huge doses that you never want to do with somebody that's just trying to prevent it, unless there was a real reason uh, where they were really at high risk for developing something. Right. Yeah. It, that makes total sense to me, of course. Um, but I think it's just important to, to highlight that where it's like sometimes when you hear big numbers of, of dosages of, of vitamins compared to what's like in a, you know, your standard multivitamin or what the RDAs are, it's like, well, 
it's very different when you're just taking thing, just taking something just to kind of cover your bases or, you know, you're currently healthy and you're just trying to prevent future illnesses and whatnot versus trying to like fix something. If you have a, if you currently have an issue, well then you've got to like attack it a little bit more aggressively to, to fix that. And that's why the dosaging might be like, you know, in a way higher, 10, 20, 30, 40 times higher. But it's like, that's not, that's also not good <laughs> to do that if you're, if you don't have that issue, right? That there can be other problems caused by in, improper uh, dosaging a, a, as well. So I, I think that that's just a, you know, an important thing for people to, to understand. Um, and that like, you can probably handle when it's natural stuff, like a lot more than you, than you need. And that the RDAs are, are, are pretty low and, and very uh, achievable if you just, you know, do a little bit of thinking and a little bit of work on, on your own end. Yeah. And well, and also the, the good thing is about natural substances in most cases is they have a really wide, uh, there's, there's not much issue uh, unless you're really pushing the envelope with toxicity. And the thing that you can do there is you can really try things and you can mix them with other things. So with, let's say cancer patients doing broccoli sprouts, but also doing, uh, types of turmeric, right? But then how to do turmeric. And there's something called, there's a breakdown product of um, curcumin called decatine curcumin, which was shown to have like 12 times the level of toxicity towards cancer cells, not towards normal cells, but towards cancer cells. So you're having huge amounts of that mixed in with broccoli, mixed in with garlic, mixed in with et cetera, et cetera. You have all of these natural substances hitting it from all these different angles. And then you try and stay outside of the the toxic levels, but you're you're really coming at it from many different angles, and you can have tremendous success that way. We may have uh, lost the stream here. Ah, uh, no way, the stream is down. So the internet cut out in my entire house right at the end there, as Stephen was kind of finishing off his last point, and I was just about to say, you know, wrap it up. Um, it happens. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, that's show business, baby. I've always wanted to say that. That didn't feel very natural rolling off the tongue there, but whatever. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. I will say one thing. Shout out to the Riverside uh, podcast recording platform, which is what I use to record these these um, you know re- remote podcasts. Um, it did a great job of saving the episode. I, I, all the stuff is saved, so we still have the episode. We didn't lose it. We would have re-recorded the episode if needed, but uh, it always comes out better you know, the first time, just organically. Um, so yeah, it happens. It is what it is. Uh, great episode, though. I think Steven said a lot of really important um, and and maybe important things for sure, but things that you may not have heard before that, that may kind of shift uh, some thinking and some paradigm shifts in uh, just our whole health and, and food system there. So uh, thank you again to, to Stephen Abbey. Uh, really good stuff. I'm really excited for the SOS Nutrients just company and, and product to, to propagate. Um, I think Stephen is going to have a promo code for you guys. Uh, I will get that information from him and I'll put it in the show notes. But by the time this episode is up, um, all that information will, will be there. So if you're interested, uh, scroll down, look in the show notes and it will be there. Um, be sure to follow the company and, and Stephen to be up to date on everything that's going on with them. SOSnutrients.com is the website SOS, SOS underscore nutrients is the Instagram handle and SOS nutrients on Facebook as well. But again, all of that in the show notes, be sure to share this episode with someone who will need to hear it or who, who will benefit from it. That's the best way to, to really support the podcast and, and to help us uh, grow this. And by us, I mean, it's just a, it just means a one man, one man show. Um, but please share this episode. It's the best thing that you can do. 
and also leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. That really helps go a long way as well as getting the show out there. Give me a follow on Instagram. That's most place I'm most active if you're not already at Daniel Yoris. And that's that. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll chat soon.